there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, writer-director-lead actors make the best worst movies. <laughs> We're talking about Titanic 2, which happens to be an old favorite of mine and Annie's. This movie came out in 2010. This was one of the things that, like, Mackenzie's dad used to, like, send her DVDs sometimes yeah. of just terrible movies. He would either rent them and then, like, copy them using a DVD ripper, or he would actively buy them. And I'm pretty sure this originally started as one that he stole from our funeral home slash movie rental place. I, I'm sorry. I'm mildly <laughs> obsessed with the idea of a funeral home slash movie rental place. I desperately want to live in a town where that's a thing. <laughs> Can I own the funeral home slash movie rental place? Yeah, of course. Also, why was your dad sending you this many bad movies? Is it an expression of love or an expression of hate? Expression of love. Okay. Yeah. He loved watching terrible bad movies too. One time, one of the crops that he sent was Titanic 2. And we were like over at your and Bethany's apartment, I think. And it was like, let's watch this. Yes, we did. It was very good. And like, it was a 2010 movie. So it had to have come out like, this had to have been like, new-ish, right? Yeah, it was newish at the time because I graduated from college in 2011 and you graduated from college in 2010. This was hot off the presses. Apparently this is also not the only Titanic 2. When I told my friends I had to watch Titanic 2 for this podcast, they were like, which one? No, it may be a shocker to think that what if they did the boat but again would be something that a lot of people would have the idea for. Uh, the one we're referring to is written, directed, and led by uh, Dick Van Dyke's grandson, Shane Van Dyke. Oh, I don't care for that little bit of information. Oh yeah, this is Dick Van Dyke's grandson. In fact, two of his brothers are also in this movie. Is this why they thanked the Van Dyke family in the credits? Yes. It is, yes. He basically just thanked Grandpa. Yeah. Shane Van Dyke, this is not his first Mockbuster-esque movie, though I would argue that this one is not in fact a Mockbuster. But he also has done some screenwriting duties, it turns out, for such films as Transmorphers 2, Street <laughs> Racer, <laughs> Paranormal Entity, and The Day the Earth Stopped. Oh, Paranormal Entity is one of the previews I saw on my Blu-ray DVD. Oh, good. Shane had his little fingers on that one. Shane, I think it's time to go to Grandpa and ask him to get you some better gigs. <laughs> it also says on Shane Van Dyke's Wikipedia page, in 2002, he starred in the musical Annie, which it doesn't say that it was like a filmed version or something. It's not hard to star in the musical, Annie. You can just buy the book and put it on in your community theater. <laughs> also, who did he star in Annie as? Was he Annie? <laughs> he was either Annie or Daddy Warbucks is probably the safest bet, but I don't know. I think he could probably rock that little red dress. No, he couldn't. It would look bad on him. Those are all the credits on his Wikipedia page. So this guy's clearly in the Joe Estevez realm of related to someone who is actually a good actor. So he sort of gets into B-movies by proxy. He's not a good actor. Or a good writer. Or a good director. Bless his heart. He actually, well, no. <laughs> he looks at least like he's a pleasant director to work with. Speaking from the experience of I have the Blu-ray and I watch the stuff at the end. Wait, you have the Blu-ray? I have the Blu-ray now. I purchased it. They made a Blu-ray? Yeah, they have a Blu-ray. I bought it from Amazon a few years ago. Does this movie need to be in HD? 
Not really. But I owned the Blu-ray. Here's another thing that might put you in the right headspace for this film, folks. This is also a movie that was distributed by Asylum. They deal entirely in B-movies. They are behind most of the films that you would see on, like, the Sci-Fi Channel. They also distributed the Sharknado films. The notable thing about Asylum is recently they seem to have, with the release of Sharknado, they seem to have gained some sort of a conscious idea that they know they're making bad movies and they started doing it. There was a time where they didn't seem to realize they were making bad movies, necessarily. It was very questionable. Like, it went from film to film with how hard people were leaning into this is a bad movie or not. Typically, they just sort of made cheap movies. I have a lot of complicated opinions about whether or not Sharknado is actually a good B-movie. It is certainly an enjoyable one, but Titanic 2 hits all my qualifiers for a good bad B-movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It is absolutely made in earnest. Before we start, so as I stated, I have the Blu-ray of this film. Before I could start watching the show, I had to watch a bunch of previews for other Asylum films, including, as stated, another one that Shane Van Dyke apparently helped. My notes on this are very stream of conscious, so I would just like to read them as is. All right, all right, all right. Give me a second. I'm a font of chaos. I have three <laughs> cats. I love capes and leggings and wearing the loudest clothes at all times. Okay, I'm ready. You can't channel Mackenzie while Mackenzie's here. No, I need this to understand. This is a Rosetta Stone, Kiddington. Okay, go on. Emmy-nominated Meredith Baxter stars in First Flight of an Airplane. The movie is titled Airline Disaster, where it's taken by terrorists. There's Emma Baxter, who is president, who says, you know, it's our policy to not negotiate with terrorists. And then they stand in a warehouse that I think is supposed to be a plane. And they wrestle and fight. And then a button is hit. And then they run over the Washington Monument. And half of it just falls off. Oh, <laughs> they limp dick the Washington Monument. Second is John Wayne Gacy was executed. It's paranormal investigators going to his house, 8213. This is mostly a lot of quick cuts. You can't see what's going on. A blonde lady is crying. <laughs> Arnold Regis was assassinated. Someone blew up their vote. A predator with a big appetite. It wasn't an explosion. It wasn't terrorist. It's a giant piranha. <laughs> they eat. They grow. They multiply and they will never ever start. It's just a guy on his back kicking piranha. And then there's an amazing graphic of a guy getting shot and his head just disappears. And a few seconds later is a bad blood animation. Paul Logan, Tiffany, and Barry Williams. Is her name really just Tiffany? <laughs> Mega Piranha. This island is evil. We will die here. No! Something, something, something is coming. The seven prophecies have begun and you, a white guy, are at the center of it. <laughs> a giant crab? A pterodactyl attack? A Komodo dragon chomping someone's head off? The one who saves you is you, they say, to white guy. There's a troll. There's a demon. A kraken? I don't know what's happening. Sexy barbarian lady looking up at a giant whale that has island matter on its back. Patrick Muldoon stars in The Seven Adventures of Sinbad. Oh my god. No. No. White yeah. guy Sinbad? White guy Sinbad. No, they did a Sinbad? Hollywood wizard. He is the CIA's most dangerous weapon on a mission. A wizard? And that truth will bring glory back to Russia. We found the bomb, China. She fought the bomb, but now she must help design it. I fought the bomb, but the bomb won. Their mission compromised. The bomb is most likely in the hands of this man. Sexy girls climb into a pool in what is clearly underwear, but not bikinis. A guy throws a bullet into the air, spins, then moves his gun to catch it so he can shoot it. Ballistica. Now it's a cowboy flick. 
He killed her family and left her for dead. She's still alive? Yeah, but not in great condition. And it's a girl asking Cowboy how to shoot so she can get revenge. Five guns! I don't need to learn how to draw. I need to learn how to kill a man. (laughs) Now, what are all these movies that I just vaguely described in Stream of Consciousness to you? Aren't they all a little bit gritty action flicks? I did not know which of those were individual movies. That's fine. There were five different ones. They were all kind of action flicky. There was an animal attack, like a Jaws-esque movie with piranhas. There was what I assume was Paranormal Entity. Yes, there was First Flight Airline Disaster. Right, there was a plane disaster movie. There was there was a cowboy movie. Disasters of Sinbad. And there was the Sinbad movie. I think that's five. And Ballistica. See, this is why you prepare your headspace. Yeah, there's one more. Okay. You may notice it's a little different than the others. Uh-oh, okay. What is this, a beer commercial? Say two guys as they watch a bunch of girls doing cheerleading tricks. Uh-oh. Best in state cheer competition. The cheetahs, the something else, the beavers. Sophie has one week to make her team number one in the state. It's a girl named Sophie whose squad kicked her out, and she needs people who will dance with her so her dude friends help her by hiring strippers. What? Ladies, this is a slumber party sleepaway camp for sexually frustrated women. What? Number one cheerleader camp. What? That's his final film. Just like a Skinamax movie. Basically. It's a bunch of girls in short shorts and sports bras jumping up and down a lot. Okay, but are you ever actually going to see any boobs? Probably not, no. Do these people know pornography is free? Even in 2010, it was just on the internet. <laughs> it's not that <laughs> long ago. There was plenty of pornography on the internet. And you watched those before this film started. Yeah, I couldn't pause, so I just kind of wrote what I saw. Well, okay. Well, after all that... <laughs> I feel changed by this experience. <laughs> I told you, this is why you prepare. So after all that, we start in Greenland. Oh boy. We start in stock footage of Greenland and then a guy just off a beach in presumably like Venice Beach somewhere. Yeah, he's, he's in California. In the middle of nowhere. They don't bother to show like where this guy has been or anything or any kind of relation of him to any kind of shore aside from a big glacier. So as far as I can tell, he has just appeared in the <laughs> middle of the ocean. There's no indicator as to how he got here. Or where he's going. He is here only for one thing, and it is catching some gnarly ice cap waves. <laughs> Tubular. So rad. Ice falls off the glacier, hits the water, makes a wave, dude rides the wave, but then, oh no, wave too big. Did he fall? This goes on for an inordinate amount of time. This movie was visibly <laughs> struggling to be feature length. Like, we never get this dude's name or anything. We barely get any close-ups on his face. He has no name. He has absolutely no bearing. He is here as, he's sort of an overture or a prelude. Like, he rides his first wave, he falls, he comes back up, he pumps his fist wildly into the air. You can't hear any noise he's making. He climbs back up and then more ice flies off. As Kit said, wave too big. He die. This is one of the Van Dyke brothers here. So, what we have here is we have Van Dyke. Trying to be cool. Wave big. Wave too big? Ice. These are our themes. (laughs) It's a good movie. The first scene of the movie teaches you how to watch the movie. (laughs) Fade cut to Coast Guard Central Command. Why does the camera open up on a guy we'll barely see throughout the movie? You're supposed to open up on the guy who's relevant for the rest of the movie. There's a lot of people in this movie that are introduced and aren't relevant, but all of them have names. Yeah, this guy has a name. And this guy, 
has a new baby at home to get to. Which is why he's here, asleep. Let's be clear that Coast Guard Sector Command is like a closet with a server and like a little desk lamp and a couple of tables. So many of the locations in this movie are so tiny. (laughs) We open with this guy who answers the phone, who has a baby to get home to, as he immediately hands off the line to an ancient man named Captain Maine. I don't think we ever actually get his first name. I don't think we do either. He is the main character's dad. He is Captain Dad. He's also played by... Uh, the evil senator from the X-Men movies. Yeah, that one. Amazing. Well, the first X-Men movie. You mean chronologically the first X-Men movie released? The one that came out in 2000. Okay, great. Really? He played... Amazing. He played the senator that Magneto turned into a blob. That guy just kind of keeps getting turned into blobs by Magneto. Like, we can't stop killing that senator in X-Men movies in the same way that we can't stop killing Uncle Ben. Also, he was in an episode of Leverage about a coal mine. Everybody was in an episode of Leverage about a coal mine. (laughs) (laughs) They just opened up Jonathan Frakes' little black book and they were like, okay. (laughs) Who are you for this one? Guy who has a new baby at home hands off the phone to old guy who was the senator in the first X-Men movie. He starts talking on the phone very vaguely, but at the end he goes, wait, how big? And he immediately stands up and goes, get me snipes. And he then proceeds to say the word snipes 50 times, which refers to a helicopter pilot who we briefly see sometimes who also isn't important to this film. Yeah, he's like, well, you asked for me specifically? I wouldn't fly with anyone else, snipes. Like he's a real (laughs) character. (laughs) with like (laughs) thoughts and feelings (laughs) he is not he is helicopter pilot this movie is desperately trying to establish character and relationships and just fails to do so all over the place anyway smash cut to the titanic 2 so abruptly that i actually burst out laughing (laughs) (laughs) we are here shooting the exteriors at the queen mary who is the only actual celebrity in this film I don't remember if the Queen Mary has four smokestacks or three. In my heart of hearts, I want to believe that the Queen Mary has three because that means that they digitally added a fourth smokestack. <laughs> the Queen Mary is pretty much your only comparable boat that looks kind of like the Titanic. It's also a big museum, which is why the characters are wandering around a museum and a gift shop a lot. <laughs> so I just checked the Queen Mary only has three, so they definitely digitally added a fourth. Hell yes. Yeah, I don't think they actually shot anything below decks at the Queen Mary because the hallways are too wide. Right. Oh, yeah, they used a hotel. That was visibly just shot at a hotel. Oh, absolutely. Watching the credits, I actually have the exact hotel they must have shot it at. (laughs) We are shooting exteriors here at the Queen Mary as people are getting on a boat. There are tons of people surrounding it and waving and cheering in a way that doesn't happen with modern boats. But I wish it did. I want to talk about... Okay, we're going to see a lot of people milling around the boat who are presumably passengers on the boat. And I just want to mention the fact that these are people who are getting on what is obviously a luxury cruise ship, hypothetically, that they probably had to pay out the nose for. And they're wandering around in jeans and t-shirts, and normally that would be fine. However, cruise ships tend to have really, really strict dress codes, like after five o'clock, you must be in business casual at all times outside of your rooms. Like, they do that. They enforce dress codes on the fucking boat because it's their boat, their law. These people are not on a cruise ship. There's also, like, only 30 of them, as far as I can tell. Yeah, also, for the record, whenever they were filming the crowds, they filmed the same eight people just in different (laughs) formations and then put them all together, 
Which I know from the making of that I watched. Oh, really? So those crowd shots are just eight people. Again and again and duplicated. again. Duplicated. Yeah. They just clone stamped eight people. They're not actually duplicated. They got them in one set and then they'd have them move and Oh adjust my God, what? And, and change what their props were. And then take another picture of these same eight people just with different props. Oh my God. So they just like layered them over each other? They comped them all in? Yes, exactly. Oh my God. Yes. That's so much more effort. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. And we see the main character's best friend, whose name is Kelly. We don't find out Kelly's name until she's about to die, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And she also takes a million years to die. I just want you to know that now. I can't tell these women apart. I can't tell any of the women in this movie apart. No, no, no. This movie has like several redundant, identical blonde women. Yeah. Just in case you need a backup. It doesn't help that our main female lead and her like sassy best friend who's interested in sex. Wear the same clothes. And their hair is basically the same color. It's the same length. The only difference is that one of them is in a ponytail. Yeah. So this is Kelly. Kelly rushes up to Amy, who is our main character, and goes, gosh, I'd rather let some of these people drown than give them CPR because she ran into somebody because she wasn't paying attention. Also, we don't find out Amy's name for like another 10 minutes, by the way. Yeah, we don't do that either. Amy is daughter of old dude Senator, who's not actually Senator, but you know, Coast Guard, but whatever. Captain Coast Guard dad. He's a Senator in X-Men. So she's daughter of him. As a red helicopter appears overhead, because there's nothing that stops this. It's just Keenan keeps rolling forward and expects you to keep up. A red helicopter shows up overhead and Kelly smacks Amy's arm and goes, look, your boyfriend is here. And cool rock music starts to play. Oh, God. And who comes out of the helicopter? Shane Van Dyke, baby! With four floozies on his arm. This character is named Hayden. We will spend a distressing amount of the movie with him. Hayden spends a whole lot of the movie script just kind of yelling at people to do things. Come on, come on, go, go. And when he isn't doing that, he walks very slowly around with what me and Annie and Annie's husband, Jonathan, refer to as the four floozies, who are just four ladies wearing low-cut dresses, not wearing any boobs, because you can see them, not boobs. (laughs) I left my titties at home today. Not wearing any bras, because you can clearly see their nipples. And they're all basically uh, carbon copies of each other, but with different hair colors. Yeah, at least these women have the decency to have different wigs on. Man, like in particular, the woman in the white dress, she has like one of those necklines that's just like a halter. And it's like, oh yeah, it's a cacophony dress. These enormous boobs, nipples erect at all times. Yeah. And we have a scene where like some fans come and fawn over this guy. I'm assuming because Shane Van Dyke wanted to live out the fantasy of being a movie star a little bit. (laughs) yes yes sign some autographs and stuff at some point one of the bluesies looks up she looks around at the boat and she says it's so big and he replies airplanes are big babe this this is monumental i was expecting him to say this is titanic too (laughs) (laughs) and i feel like the movie would have been infinitely more enjoyable if he had done that i'm disappointed by what was not there There's several times in this movie where people, like, you always know you can hear the space where the way the line should finish, and then it doesn't. Like, (gasps) this entire boat is going to go down, and nobody says, and take us all with it. (laughs) Airplanes are big, baby. Trains are big. But this is monumental. Trains are big. Trains are big, you guys. (laughs) Which is like a line (laughs) written by a five-year-old. Trains are big. I should also mention that Shane Van Dyke looks kind of like what would happen if you took standard generic California surfer dude and mixed him with like a puddle of clay. (laughs) So you're saying this is some kind of Pygmalion thing. 
Yeah, exactly. I could not for the life of me tell you what this man looks like. His face slides off my brain like Teflon. (laughs) He's got like that kind of really frazzled out, like dry as a bone blonde hair that comes down to like his shoulders or something. He has like a very broad jawline and that's about where it ends for me. Are these accurate statements? I don't know. Yeah, those are accurate statements. I could not tell you. (laughs) So we flash back to Kelly and Amy and Kelly goes, your dad needs to get here right now. And Amy goes, oh, really? Why is that? And Kelly goes, so someone will introduce me to Hayden. As if he's super hot. People spend a lot of time fawning over this man. And it's scripted. So this is actually a common thing in writer-director leads. Mm-hmm. Where there's clearly kind of got a self-insert sort of thing going on. Where they kind of are like, okay, well, I would love to be fawned over like this. So every character is going to fawn over my character. And of course, he's the director. So he can also say, now your role in this scene is to fawn over me. More. Yeah. More. More fawning. More. More fawning. Fawn harder. So then we go through the prerequisite Titanic things, such as floozy number 12 goes, these bones don't look any safer than the older ones. And Hayden replies with, just for show, darling, the real bad boys are down below. Because they couldn't replace the lifeboats on the Queen Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing about that. It's like, why would you have fake lifeboats? (laughs) Especially incredibly visible fake lifeboats. Surely in the event of an emergency, people are going to be stupid and flock to the fake boats first before they go to your secret submarine lifeboats. (laughs) We continue our Titanicizing by going to Amy getting a call from her dad who's like, hey, hon, I can't make it anymore. And Amy goes, dad, did the ship pass inspection? He goes, barely as appropriate. Oh my God. I love that like Captain Dad is like, he's a business dad character. They're clearly trying to establish him as a business dad character who needs to focus on reprioritizing his work to his family, et cetera, et cetera. But like, instead of saying like, well, I can't make it to your event, honey. I have to do the meeting to close the deal with the partnership (laughs) firm. Instead, he says, well, there's a Cavan glacier up in Greenland and they want me to investigate. (laughs) And his business dad excuses go, that one's actually pretty good. Yeah, that's legit. I would say I am a member of the Coast Guard and my job saves lives, therefore I can't, like, commit to things as easily is, like, a perfectly forgivable character trait for someone to have. Yeah. Also, when yeah. he calls his daughter's phone, the picture that pops up on her iPhone is just the actor's headshot. <laughs> And of course, it's labeled dad work because it's like an old iPhone. This is also where we finally learn Amy's name because he calls her Amy May. And like she hangs up the phone. She almost says, I love you. But dad hangs up first before she can get it out. And she looks at the phone and then she looks around as we do a rack focus to the background where Hayden sees her and removes his cool guy aviators. (laughs) Forgive me for this for comparison. This is a lot like Nutcracker in the Four Realms in in that it's going through the motions of being a real movie, (laughs) but it doesn't understand why any of those things are there. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely hits all the beats of the things that you should have in a movie without like actually having any kind of understanding of what the purpose of the scene is. Snipes had to be there for the whole awkward conversation with, with his dad. Yep. We briefly flashed to dad in the plane, and then for some reason, here, at least in my DVD copy, was a bunch of stock photos of people walking through hotel lobbies. Yes, yes, we do have a lot. Here's the thing about this movie. It's not trying to tell an original boat disaster story. There are no original boat disaster stories anymore. Unless there is an increasingly large marine animal creature that is going to eat the boat. Shane Van Dyke here is trying to 
hit all of the beats that made you like Titanic. Let's do little like interstitials where you see these recurring passenger characters who don't have any lines, but they like make you think about humanity and whatever. <laughs> this one just sort of shows people milling around a gift shop. Also, this is definitely padding for time. This movie is just barely 90 minutes long. They struggled to make this feature length. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely did have to be feature length, not because it debuted in any films, but because it debuted on the Sci-Fi Channel. And the Sci-Fi Channel had a time block to fill. We do finally flash to Dad, who lands in Greenland, and everybody is wearing these big fashion parkas that are not going to keep you warm at all. Wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, I do want to point out that when the boat takes off... <laughs> this like... boat is definitely moving! <laughs> <laughs> these aren't camera tricks this boat is absolutely moving the boat is absolutely moving these are some very real jets flying over the boat leaving red white and blue flags and this boat is going to be tracing the exact route of the titanic on its original voyage and by that i mean we're departing from new york city instead of it was going to new york they desperately tried camera tracking and various other tricks to make it look like the boat's moving and none of it works. It's the Queen Mary. It sits there. It doesn't go anymore. It's a museum. They at least admitted it in the making of feature where they're like, this is how we did it. Yeah. Real, real wizardry there. <laughs> now that we're like having to do exterior shots of the boat in water, which the Queen Mary is not unmoored. It's, uh, they made them a CGI boat, just like James Cameron did, but cheaper. It's not good. No, it's bad, actually. Meanwhile, unemployed in Greenland. You know how you can always tell when the filmmakers are from California and have never left California? Yeah. <laughs> They're not even wearing hats. Nope. <laughs> Right, right. Okay. So we're in Greenland, which like in terms of Fahrenheit, I double checked it. Like Greenland's temperatures are like right now in January, it's like maybe a high of in like the high 20s. It's cold there. Yeah. So dad and Kim Patterson, the doctorate PhD scientist. The NOAA scientist. Yeah, are all wearing just like these fashion parkas that are half open and hanging off their shoulders. None of them are wearing hats. None of them are wearing gloves. You know that none of them have any long underwear on at all. These people nope. are like, the tent flaps are just open. There's a little bit of a breeze. There's some definitely like... You know how when snow gets really, really cold and it's very dry and it's just that literal powder? This is not that. And they're on a glacier. Yeah. Glaciers are like big air conditioners. Like, even if the surrounding climate is okay-ish, once you're on a glacier, it's fucking cold. Glacier cold, it turns out. Kim Patterson informs Senator Dad, I need someone to take me seriously when I say we're standing on a ticking time bomb as she leads him out on a walk to... The glacier, which she says is going to fall off soon, and it'll be the size of New Jersey. Okay, yeah, no, she's like, first off, they're apparently supposed to be on the Helheim Glacier, which is a real glacier. It's very big, but I also think they probably chose the name Helheim because it, it, it's the it's the Norse land of the dead, and they're like, this is a deadly glacier. I don't think the thought <laughs> process even went that far. I think they saw the word <laughs> hell in it, and they were like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, a chunk fell off of the glacier the size of a Canadian island. 
The next one was the size of Manhattan. I think the first one was the size of Manhattan. Then she says, now imagine what would happen with one the size of Rhode Island. Which is not an island. A, Rhode Island's not an island. And B, is that just an arbitrary unit of measurement? How do you know it's going to be the size of Rhode Island? (laughs) I know. It's like she just starts listing larger and larger land masses. Okay, thought experiment. The size of Rhode Island. Now what's a bigger island? Australia. Too big. Scale it back. (laughs) New Zealand. Closer. (laughs) Christ. And then she throws some real incredible bullshit at us that we are going to have to believe for the rest of the movie. Which is that it would push a swell all the way across the Atlantic. You know, the Atlantic Ocean, noted for being large. (laughs) We're also going to be talking about waves in the middle of the ocean here a lot in this movie, which is just incredible. She pokes at her computer and does some, like, incredible, we didn't even pay for a movie operating system computer things. Like, look at these charts. Have you ever thrown a pebble in a pond, Captain, and watched the ripples? The next glacier will be the size of a cannonball, and the Atlantic Ocean is the pond. My God. (laughs) What? 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 She's constantly trying to explain the mechanics of icebergs and waves to a guy who works for the Coast Guard. (laughs) I feel like she wouldn't have to use elaborate metaphors. I know the elaborate metaphors are for the audience's benefit, but also (laughs) this man works for the Coast Guard. This woman spends so much time time just using metaphor after metaphor in this scene she is nothing but metaphors this sequence in this film it is the most like a balloon and something bad happens just over and over again until the audience finally just lies down says i'm tired okay (laughs) meanwhile on a very real boat hayden and amy run into each other She's like, are you admiring your masterpiece while he's looking at the ocean? (laughs) Hayden disengages from his floozies and goes to talk, and they kind of lean nearby overlooking the ocean. There's some really awkward back and forth about how they used to be in a relationship. They had a falling out of some sort. Hayden says, yeah, look at daddy's girl. And Amy responds, look who's talking. Hayden's dad is dead. (laughs) Yeah. Also, apparently the thing that caused the falling out was... Hayden taking Amy's dad's boat on a joyride? What? (laughs) So Hayden admits that he is now the CEO of Walsh Industries, which- When you're offered the keys to an empire, it's hard to say no. The keys to an empire? Of something? We don't even know what Walsh Industries (laughs) does. Also, I feel like the phrase (laughs) keys to an empire is- (laughs) The two halves of those things don't go together. Reigns of an empire, maybe? Throne of an empire? Keys, though? Maybe just drop the empire entirely. I also love that this is a character who, like, you have the character who has to choose between the money thing and his passion. And his passion, it turns out, is the Coast Guard. So I guess he was going to be in the Coast Guard and then decided to become a millionaire instead. And also he broke up with Amy. Yeah. But she's still wearing the earrings he got her. And she's like, yeah, well, I have a lot of earrings. And he's like, yeah, well, I like them. (laughs) Have we mentioned that Amy and Kelly are medics yet? Because they're medics. Yeah, they're medics. We find out apparently they're supposed to be nurses at some point. But I would very much believe that Shane Van Dyke is the kind of guy who would, like, assume that 
you have to go to nursing school to become a nurse before you can go to medical school and become a doctor. Like, I don't think he knows what nurses do. This movie doesn't know what nurses do. They're asked to, like, help out with corralling passengers at some point. There's no doctor in sight. There's a man referred to as Doc obliquely, and at some point they refer to a man who is speaking to them, like, on a phone call as Doc, but I, I don't know. Anyway, after this establishing relationship moment is thankfully gone. We flash back to Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the bridge. The very real bridge. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. The very real bridge. The captain here is played by an actor named DC Douglas, also known as Legion from Mass Effect. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, that's ah, Legion. What? Captaining the ship. DC Douglas. I don't know why DC Douglas is here, but I guess 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Holy shit. <laughs> this is why he's one of the few people in this movie who can act. Well, shit, that explains it. Holy crap. <laughs> Legion's here, guys. Legion's here, guys. DC Douglas is a pretty prolific <laughs> voice actor, actually, but yeah. Oh, yes, but Legion from Mass Effect was going to get the biggest reaction. <laughs> yeah. Legion Mass Effect is here. Legion Mass Effect is here. They processed his voice pretty heavily in the game, but he is here. <laughs> right, and he's the captain of this ship, and I love the bridge scene here because, like, first off, he walks by that part of the museum that has, like, the original bridge, and then he walks away from it and presumably up the stairs. <laughs> then they go to another bridge, which this bridge has a whole bunch of windows, but you can't see anything out of them because they're not on the water. They're definitely just in a California building somewhere. With, like, some monitors. The engines haven't been broken in yet. People are going to say this line a lot and not really explain, like, what it means, how you break in engines, or what happens if you don't, just that something bad will happen. Yeah, they also talk about how they're going to be avoiding the icebergs this time around, and we're not going to make the same mistakes of the past. This is Titanic 2. Every time they say <laughs> Titanic 2, there's a little bit of a dramatic pause between Titanic and 2. <laughs> Also, I feel like the idea of surely all these modern human beings wouldn't make the same mistakes as people made in the exact same situation a hundred years ago hits different in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene later with the dude where everyone else is wearing a life vest. He is not and he demands to be given special treatment and like... That hits different. So then we snap back to Greenland. Where we see a random guy gathering core samples. Yeah, he's just shoving snow in, into a bottle like a thermos. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's what collecting core samples looks like. <laughs> no. no you, just get, you just get shoved this snow in. I'm not a scientist, but. <laughs> <laughs> but then suddenly the ground starts to shake and split beneath him. It's not clear if it happened because he dropped one of the bottles or if that's just like what happened at the same time. <laughs> It's very day after tomorrow, but cheaper. Yes. He looks very confused. We suddenly snap over to business dad, who's like, what's that? Run, says lady scientist Kim Peterson Patterson. You know, she's just the lady scientist. She's not really going to have any more bearing on the plot yeah. at this point. She'll just be in the background making reaction faces. So, like, they all have to dramatically escape their little, like, ice camp. Which, by the way, there were, like, four tents. Notably, the guy who was quote-unquote, collecting core samples, suddenly has sunglasses on as he's sprinting away carrying his core samples. The glacier splits and he falls down a long hole screaming. Bye, guy. Bye, guy. Again, people who have never left California, <laughs> you would be wearing snow goggles, not yep. sunglasses. Probably be polarized, because, you know, 
It's bright. Yes, no blindness. It's a thing, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Scientist lady also goes falling and needs to be grabbed by Amy's dad and yoinked up into the helicopter. And dad starts shouting Snipes' name again. Get in the air, Snipes! We gotta go, Snipes! Speaking of which, Snipes left the engine running. Like, those blades never <laughs> stopped turning. And then he wonders why they're low on gas later. <laughs> They escape. Apparently the gigantic piece of the glacier is going to fall off now. And, you know, something, something the size of Rhode Island, a cannonball. Why did they put their camp on the part of the glacier that was going to fall off and be the size of Rhode Island? It's a great question. Why didn't they put it further back? <laughs> because they had to dramatically stand on the edge of the glacier. <laughs> and talk about how, like, climate change isn't real, Right. I think there's an environmentalist message in here somewhere. Somewhere? Maybe. I don't know. If you squint, the size of a cannonball. We go back to... Okay, so ostensibly we're inside the boat, but we're in a hotel convention center right now. Oh yeah, we're definitely at hotel convention center. The lower decks of the boat, we don't see the upper decks of the boat very much, and the lower decks of the boat are very clearly just like some hotel. I love it. I love it because like we're in what is probably the big fancy restaurant slash ballroom of this area and how they have chosen to recreate, you know, luxury cruise ships, which are very fancy looking is they put down some of the dance floor tiles on the carpet. They made a little raised podium out of some choir risers. There's a paper sign that says Titanic about three feet long taped onto the back wall. There's no windows because what people on cruise ships hate doing is looking out at the ocean. Guys, would you say that this is a shitty reception for a couple you don't like or a junior prom? I would say this is like the pregame for a gender reveal party. Ooh! We're about to go outside and set fire to California with some explosives. <laughs> that sounds about right. This is a gender reveal party for people whose house isn't nice enough to actually host people in. But they still want to, like, be really, really fancy. Yeah, they still wanted to like a lot of people there and look fancy. Can everyone on the Titanic 2 go down to the lower deck, please? This is just a precautionary measure. Okay, okay. They call the medics up to, like, take people down to the lower decks. And why is that their job? And they only want one of them, too. The other one, I guess, just has to stay in the infirmary? Med bay? In case of emergency. Well, yeah, I, that makes sense. But also, like, when they do answer the phone and say one of you has to come up and help people get down to the lower decks, they say, why are we taking people down to the lower decks instead of, why is this my job? Can we just talk about the infirmary set for a second? <laughs> because you know what boats do? Boats move. There's a lot of unsecured <laughs> shit in this room. <laughs> boats rock. Boats move. Like, there are things just, like, leaning up against the wall. None of the shelves have, like, any railings or anything on them. Like, little tiny railings to keep things from sliding off. There are no doors on anything. There's just stuff lying on a shelf, like glass bottles. Has anyone been on a boat before? This movie? Have they been on boats? <laughs> you know, boats. <laughs> you know, like, boats. You know, boats. <laughs> Never left California. <laughs> Not even on a yacht. Of course not. Natalie would die on one of those. You're taking your life into your hands. <laughs> be fair, she only died once she left the yacht, but still. <laughs> and by left, I mean fell off, probably. I know someone who got in a yacht once. She died. <laughs> so yeah, no, they start taking passengers below decks because the helicopter where Captain Dad is, he calls the Titanic 2, which is the only boat in the Atlantic Ocean right now, apparently. <laughs> 
<laughs> or at least the only boat that Captain Dad cares about. <laughs> right. Captain Dad's blatant favoritism sends out an Atlantic-wide tsunami alert. At some point, someone tries to say, well, ships at the surface will be fine, but everything underneath will be affected, which is how tsunami waves work when they're not next to a shore. It's just everything happens under the boat. Like, you won't notice or anything. Dad goes, no. You see, because it's going to push all the ice into their path. That's what we're going with. <laughs> And then, and then, and then, and then, and then Hayden says, and then Hayden says, it's fine because we have, we have state-of-the-art ice detectors. <laughs> state-of-the-art ice detectors that will sound if they get within 500 yards of an ice cube. For one thing, 500 yards sounds s- small. It doesn't sound like a long enough distance. Especially for a giant boat. Fun fact, there are approximately 2,025 yards in one nautical mile. That's small. (laughs) Also, like, okay, so ice detectors are a thing, but they're a thing on aircraft. (laughs) They're a sensor you put on an aircraft, and if the refraction index of the light changes as it's hitting the sensor, that means that ice is forming on the aircraft, which can cause the plane to crash. So it's very important that those ice detectors, you know, function and exist. But, like, they don't make them so that it's like a sonar you can put on boats that detects ice. You know, the Atlantic Ocean, known for being balmy. There's a lot of ice! Oh my god. And they also say that this wave, this Atlantic-wide tsunami, is traveling at 843 miles per hour. They have approximately 15 minutes until impact. I'm still concerned about, like, the units of measurement that we are sort of swapping in and out here. What kind of miles? Should it even be an imperial light? It's okay. We're going 50 knots towards the shore. It's fine. Take her to 50 knots. She was built for speed. Was she? It's a cruise liner. They're not typically no. Cruise liners take as long as they can. If they stay away from shore, they can use the casino as long as they want. We also intercut somewhere in this scene to, like, a submarine? There's a submarine in this movie for five minutes. Someone involved in this movie really liked Hunt for Red October. <laughs> and decided that to show what the stakes were, they were going to have a submarine that crashes into an iceberg and explodes. A submarine full of no one we care about, no one we've ever met. This is just to show the stakes. We show the tsunami hitting the submarine and smashing it into an iceberg. And then that submarine fucking atomizes. <laughs> The people are starting to be concerned, the passengers on the Titanic 2, which is interesting because if it were me on a ship called Titanic 2, I would just start alert and worried and stay there the whole time. Yeah, I feel like anyone who got on this fucking boat was like, if I die, I die. (laughs) I also really love that everybody in this ostensible ballroom was asked to leave and go to the lower decks. Generally speaking, a space this big would probably be on one of the lower decks. And also... They did it over the little podium speaker. (laughs) Like, ships have PAs in, like, almost every single room. Because it's a boat. (laughs) It's a boat full of people. People need to hear news about what is happening to the boat. And the worst part is that later on in the movie, there is an announcement that comes over the PA. So, like, what the fuck? Where was it? Why wasn't it here? While this is all happening... Amy, who was supposed to... Was Amy supposed to help people get below decks, or was that supposed to be Kelly? Because Amy just kind of wanders out above decks. Well, I mean, when we come back to Kelly, she is in the infirmary, so presumably they rock, paper, scissors for it. (laughs) (laughs) 
instead of like going down to the lower decks, Amy just kind of wanders out on the top deck, just kind of look at people, look at the ocean. We only ever see very small slices of the top deck because they're <laughs> desperately trying to hide the rest of the city around this boat that's definitely still docked. <laughs> yeah. We have this moment where Captain Dad tries to call her phone, which, by the way, is getting great reception in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean from another <laughs> cell phone in a helicopter near Greenland, by the way. Who the fuck? Is this guy's carrier? Do they just both have satellite phones? What's happening? Also, I love how, like, in the helicopter, Senator Dad and the pilot both have those headsets on with the microphones, and their lines are processed because it's clear that they're talking to each other over those headsets because helicopters are fucking loud. And then you've just yep. got the scientist lady in the back who does not have a headset and who is just speaking at a normal volume. Everybody can hear her just fine. <laughs> To the point where at one point in the movie, Senator Dad takes off his headset while he is on the phone with the lady <laughs> from Titanic 2 saying, Mayday, Mayday, so he can talk to Scientist Lady. <laughs> so Captain Dad says that you have to get everybody to the higher decks, the lower decks, they'll die for some reason. Yeah, he basically says, do the opposite of what everyone on this boat is doing now. But it's tragically ironic because he's leaving a voicemail. Anyway, Engine 1 just dies, apparently. Yeah, Engine 1 burns out because they went too fast. I guess. And then, and then Captain Legion says, Engine <laughs> 1 burnt out because we went too fast. We should shut the other ones down so they don't also explode. And fucking Hayden is like, no, go faster. <laughs> no, boat fast, though. Boat go fast. Then they actually do stop the boat. And here's a cool thing that boats can't do. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> this boat just stops it has no forward momentum it has nothing they're like we're drifting and it's like you're in the ocean you're on a boat <laughs> but the boat just stops <laughs> ah. <laughs> and then they're like all right passengers get your life vests Look, 30 minutes after you leave the shore on a cruise ship, they're like, all right, everybody come down to this like informational meeting where we explain how to use your life vest and what you do in the event of an emergency. Follow the lights here. This is how this whole thing works. This is standard procedure. Everybody get your life vests. And then everyone on board just starts running and screaming. Yeah. And they trip on the stairs. It's <laughs> pandemonium. It would be a lot more convincing if this movie had more extras in it, but unfortunately they could not afford that. <laughs> so you just see like shots of like one or two people running down a hallway and then tripping over stuff and screaming and panicking. And it cuts between a lot of these shots to attempt to communicate that there are a lot of people on this boat freaking out. But also we're still padding for time because this movie absolutely positively has to be 90 minutes long. <laughs> It really, really wants us to, like, see people panicking as, you know, a big deal as, like, oh, my God, the humanity, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like Titanic, that movie that had a really big budget. Interesting point of note. Go on. This was another thing in the discussion scene where they had four people just running around screaming and smacking into each other, and they just filmed them in a bunch of different locations doing the exact same thing with different props. <laughs> I'm going to be real. That sounds like that would have been really fun to be one of those extras. They were laughing a lot. It, was, it, sound, it looked awesome, honestly. Like, if you're going to be in a stupid disaster movie about a boat, that's the way you do it. You'd be one of four people attempting to convince the audience that there are hundreds on board. 
Meanwhile, up on the bridge, it's insinuated that everybody stops and looks out a window, but we also can't see out of any of the windows. So we just kind of cut to an outside shot of a big wave. Yeah, this movie relies on the Kula Shop effect a lot. <laughs> but also the director doesn't know what the Kula Shop effect is. Do you want to define that for our listeners? Oh, shit, right, sorry. The Kuleshov effect is something used in filmmaking, the idea being that a cut between two shots implies a relationship between two shots. If you see a shot of somebody's face looking horrified and then you cut to something horrifying, the viewer's brain will fill in that that is the thing that he was looking at. It's one of those things that you hear about it and you go like, well, duh, and then you think about it and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, that does make sense as a filmmaking technique. And you can really tell when it's absent. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things you don't notice until it's not there anymore. (laughs) Because you think, hypothetically, if you're actually doing this right, you would see a startled face of a man ostensibly looking out a window and you would cut to like a shot taken from right behind him over his shoulder as he looks out of something through a window frame. And then you can cut to outside to see what's happening without any frames but you have to make that transition (laughs) instead we just see a man look at the camera or slightly to the right of the camera and then we cut to outside of the boat where we see a very big wave and by the way everything from here on out in terms of exterior shots is going to take place at night which means that it's all very dark which means that unless your television is just highly calibrated you're not going to be able to see all the waves from here on out are just great big black voids on the screen And sometimes you see something slightly lighter moving on the big black void, but don't hold your breath. So there's a big wave, and I think some ice hits the boat. Again, can't be totally sure. Yeah, I think some ice hits the side of the boat, which apparently they were not prepared for. No. They said, we thought we would be hitting any ice head on, not from the side. I was like, do any of you understand how icebergs work? The ice detectors, they did nothing. Why didn't we hear the ice detectors go off? I'm sure they were. (laughs) There's just a lot of other noise. (laughs) We see a lot of people falling to the floor. The whole infirmary tilts. None of the bottles slide because we're just turning the camera. It's a Star Trek bridge shake. We get like two of those. It's great. We also look at the gift shop while everything's tilting. Gift shop's fine. None of the items in the display are moving. It's great. And they're like, the hull has been shoved inward. Half of the lifeboats are gone, and someone turns to the camera and says, Looks like history is repeating itself. Someone, Captain Legion, turns to the camera and says, Looks like history is repeating. With a painfully earnest amount of acting involved. Yay! Ready for Captain Legion! He gets to say the line! Oh, God, and I'm amazed he managed to get that line out of his mouth without, like... How many takes do you think that took? Or is he just a professional? I think he's a prof- He's a voice actor. He's had to say some dumb shit on Mike. He also was on Dot .hack, so he definitely had to say some dumb shit. Oh, no, like the anime or the video game? The video game. Tell me specifically, because it won't matter to anyone else, because I'm the only one who played .hack. Yeah, also, like, a lot of his resume is additional voices. Because when you get an actor like that in who can do, like, ten different characters, you just get them in for a session and just record any miscellaneous lines you have. He was both Gabby and Taihaku. Oh, no, I don't remember any of that. (laughs) So, history is repeating itself. Amy is on the top deck at this point. She is helping some adult woman, but it definitely sounds like the script was written in such a way where she was supposed to be talking to a child because she's, like, talking to this, like, adult woman. Like, what's your name, sweetheart? Everything's going to be okay. There are no children in this movie, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, uh, later on in the movie, they're like, oh, we got to evacuate women and children first. And by that, we mean just women. There are no children in this movie. There are extra filming regulations for if we have kids in this movie. So we decided we weren't going to have any. <laughs> there was exactly one child on set. Uh, on the boat or? One child on set on the boat. I don't know if her scenes were cut, but she was in the making of because they showed how they had to film her and work with the regulations. And then they cut all her scenes. That's incredible. Probably because it was going to cost a lot. <laughs> Somebody on the crew tries to get Hayden off the boat in the helicopter. The floozies who have been abandoned at this point in the film are shoved onto the helicopter, I believe. And they're telling Hayden to get on. And Hayden replies in, but what about the passengers? And we have this inordinately long moment where he's looking around at all the chaos in the boat. And you think, it's, it's like five minutes <laughs> long. It's all slow motion, too. First 10 <laughs> seconds, you're like, okay. It's like showing his thought process as he's realizing what's happening around him. Then it keeps going. And you're like, oh, they're just padding for time again. <laughs> they were running like five minutes under. So they just put everything in slow motion and just kept showing scenes of chaos. I'm pretty sure some of these are reused <laughs> shots from earlier in the movie. They are. And so Shane Van Dyke then goes, no, get these people on the chopper now. I will help here. Yeah, he says load as many injured people onto the chopper as possible. We never hear from that helicopter again, by the way. No, it's floozies only. This is also the part where I'd start really noticing exactly how much this movie plays like an earnest episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially the, we were running up to five minutes under, so slow motion. <laughs> Exactly. Hayden is definitely just Dr. Rick Daglas, MD. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's just so heroic and so noble and so selfless, you guys. <laughs> and all these women are attracted to him. And everyone respects him. <laughs> Even the sea. <laughs> Like, he's even had a couple of, like, staring at the sunset sequences where he thinks to himself, except this movie didn't have didn't have the budget for any monologues. Which is weird, because there's a lot of this movie that is just aggressively ADR'd. It could be monologue. There could be monologues to help, like, exposition. Instead, we just have the lady scientist occasionally. Okay, okay, so the boat is going down and they're like, we hear something about how the lifeboats are going to be death traps. We're ignoring that entirely. It's because Captain Dad says that the tsunami will immediately destroy any lifeboats on the ocean. Only something as big as the Titanic 2 will survive. Which again, not how boats work. Nope. Not how waves work. Nope. Not how waves in the middle of the ocean work. Nope. And now we're trying to get down to the lifeboats. And apparently the only way to get to the lifeboats is to take one elevator. Oh God. Yeah. Stairs. And they're evacuating women and children first, by which we mean women first. So it's just an elevator packed full of identical women. <laughs> and they're like, they are all like <laughs> 19 to 23 years old in like identical dresses. The casting director maybe had an agenda. Yeah. Hey, honey, you want to be in a movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate. And then a guy without a life vest on, who presumably is also an anti-masker, starts pushing a woman ahead of him. You know that John Mulaney bit where he talks about uh, his mom taking him to meet Bill Clinton? And she, like, <laughs> says, this boy has to meet the next president of the United States! And, like, uses him as a bulldozer through the crowd? 
This guy is attempting to use some random woman as the same thing. He's just trying to use her as the cow catcher that gets him through the crowd towards the elevator <laughs> and the lifeboats. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we keep seeing this guy over and over again. He must be based on somebody that Shane Van Dyke hates. Because he just keeps showing up and causing problems until he gets beaten down. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Why are we taking the elevators? It seems like a bad idea. <laughs> there are stairs. You stairs in an emergency. But they try to get Amy to get on too, and Amy goes, no, I gotta do other things. Oh my god, Kelly. I have to get Kelly. She's, she might be in trouble. Kelly, I have to get Kelly. Oh my god, okay, so Amy and Hayden meet back up in the push to the elevator, and she's like, I have to get down to the infirmary to get to Kelly. Kelly. Meanwhile, Hayden, who is fending off the guy who bum-rushed the elevator, he punches Hayden, and immediately Amy's like, hey, stop it, and he does. And in the background, disaster strikes, as suddenly a little bit of water starts spraying out of the wall. <laughs> right. And Hayden goes, no, go, 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 and starts shoving at Amy to get her running. There's also this bit where she's trying to explain she needs to get down to the infirmary. And Hayden is, says, the infirmary is all the way down. You'll never make it back up in time. Presumably to go back down the elevator to get to the lifeboat. <laughs> what the f*** is the layout of this ship? Is this like the hospital from that ghost movie we watched? <laughs> Grave Encounters? Grave Encounters. This is like the hospital from Grave Encounters. Is this boat a f***ing Ravenloft? Yes. Well, that's a deep cut, Kit. This is a House of Leaves boat. Yes. Actually, no. Honestly, with the amount of <laughs> stairs that just go absolutely nowhere and connect to nothing, this is kind of a Castle Ravenloft. Oh, boy. You know, boats with their spacious staircases. Boats with their wide hallways and all of their unused space. <sighs> anyway, we get down to the infirmary and, hey, you know what we were saying earlier about how nothing is secured in this room? <laughs> Oh no, look what happened. Yeah. A thing fell on Kelly. Oh no, Kelly. She's covered in blood and she's screaming. And we find out later, it seems, that there's like a cut on her neck or something. And I should note that you're like, oh, well, Kelly's dying. She will not die for the next 20 minutes. Oh God. Kelly stays alive because we triage the neck wound with a credit card and some tape. Yeah, I don't know if, like, I'm not a medic. I don't know if that's a thing you can do. So that actually is a thing. Is that a thing you can do? Apparently. I was an EMT for one year. <laughs> I remember explicitly we were told to use a credit card to, like, take care of somebody. Mostly it was supposed to be used, like, if they punctured a lung. Because then it would serve as kind of, like, a rigid thing that would allow the lung to kind of huh. still keep opening and closing without f***ing things up. But we could use it in the case of, like, some arteries. It wasn't recommended. There were other better things you could use. But this was kind of like, our teacher was like, basically, this is if you don't have anything else and you need to save somebody's life now. Like, say, if you encountered someone when you weren't in an infirmary. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I feel like there are other things in this infirmary that would have done the job better. <laughs> The credit card was actually, he said, very useful for the lung things because there's not very much you can do for that unless you're actually in, like, an emergency room. Like, an infirmary in the back of your ambulance would not be good for that, necessarily. Incredible. So somebody involved in the writing of this movie, or possibly the actress, like, the actress is earnest enough that I bet she did research on first aid and was like, oh, the credit card thing is a thing you can do, but she didn't know enough about it to know that, like, in an infirmary, there's other things you can do that would make the job a little easier. <laughs> a room notoriously filled with medical supplies. There's a verisimilitude to how the actress playing Amy does medic shit, which makes me think that 
either she did research or somebody involved in the writing of the movie did a bit of research. Either way, somebody made an effort, which is very strange considering how much the rest of this movie is not making an effort. I'm going to go ahead and say that it probably wasn't Shane Van Dyke making an effort because he was busy. His effort was all (laughs) in making Shane Van Dyke look good, which is interesting because we've also reached the portion of the film where all of Hayden's lines from here on out are going to be variations on go, go, move, move, come on. (laughs) He's a protagonist of a first person shooter game. He is going to spend the rest of this movie telling people to move and how to move because apparently they don't know what they're doing at all. I should note that from this point on, until the making of, all my notes are just action! Exclamation mark. Yeah, we've hit the disaster part of the film. I don't know if this was the case for you guys, but the subtitles on the version that I rented not only include the dialogue, <gasps> yes! but also include words like boom, honk, yes. kaboom. <laughs> they absolutely must have made the subtitles from like the shooting script because it includes a bunch of sound effects and my favorite part is that the sound effects have punctuation like boom exclamation mark also the subtitles were like a couple of seconds off so i would see the boom before there was actually a boom okay good that wasn't just me then yeah just absolute minimum effort on so much of this movie and it was also the kind where like the subtitles sort of move around the screen depending on where the person's speaking is. And like, that's great sometimes, but this one, they just took up any part of the screen they wanted. It was great. So they sort of save Kelly. And then we cut back up. Yeah. <laughs> we cut back up as a man who identifies himself on screen as Engineer Chief Daniels, who is heading for the turbine rune and does that by running past some boat windows in the middle of the Atlantic. Where you can clearly see lights on the shore. (laughs) It's a whole skyline. It's great. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. This boat has definitely moved. This boat is definitely (laughs) in the ocean. It is in the middle of the Atlantic. It's fine. Then I think we cut to the guy who is trying to bum rush the elevator again. Oh god, this fucking guy. This guy exists to cause problems. He's not even wearing a life vest. He is just here to be belligerent. And again, like, this guy would be completely unrealistic, but this hits different in the year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> it's been a, it's been it, it, it's been a, it, it's been a year, huh? Huh, folks? Lemon, it's January. <laughs> <laughs> this, this year has been a decade, hasn't it? Mm. <laughs> So the bum rush guy is like, let me in. And then like the only other ship employee that we see is some like doe face guy who just punches him in the face and leaves the belligerent man to die, I guess. I guess. I guess he's just going to die. Meanwhile, Captain Legion has decided to be a ship captain and go down with the ship. Which he's going to do rather immediately. <laughs> yeah. Captain Dad makes a call into the bridge and Captain Legion is like, hey, what's up? I'm going to die. It's like, the lifeboats are death traps. You have to get everyone off the lifeboats and back onto the ship. And before Captain Legion can pass on this information, (laughs) the engines explode. (laughs) And it takes out every relevant location that we've seen on the boat. They were all stacked on top of each other. It's all hallways from here on out. It's just all concrete hallways because everything else got exploded. We cut to Hayden and Amy and Kelly who have found another elevator and they're taking it to floor five. I don't know what's on floor five. Why are they going up? Why is it floors and not decks? I don't. 
stupid boat. <laughs> I love when the boat explodes. We cut to this extreme close-up of one of the other employees that we have seen. She's the lady who made the announcement on the podium for everybody to go to the lower decks. And she looks out of the lifeboat. And she says, not again. What? And we see the fire reflected in her eyes. Was she there the first time? <laughs> Is she a time traveler? Is she immortal? Was she on the first Titanic? <laughs> like, it sounds personal. Also, I don't think the first Titanic exploded. <laughs> Not again with the same gravitas as a missile turned into a bowl of petunias shortly before crashing onto the ground. Not again. God. <laughs> is she just condemned to be on every ship named Titanic? Like, is she reincarnated over and over again to be on ships named Titanic? Do you think she just sits there in limbo in between ships named Titanic and she's like, finally, I can rest. Surely this time they won't make another boat called Titanic. <laughs> And then the void takes her and she wakes up on a boat deck and she's like, God damn it. <laughs> Here we go again. Can we watch that movie instead? <laughs> I want to watch that movie. That sounds great. <laughs> it's like one of those like time loop video games. It's just a woman trying to not be on the Titanic when it inevitably explodes. <laughs> and also, why does it explode? <laughs> it always seems to explode. Does she have to stop the thing that actually makes it explode even when it shouldn't explode? Is it actually supernatural? <laughs> I'm sorry, I need to stop before I write up this treatment. <laughs> Annie, I have some excellent news for you. What's that? There was an episode of Supernatural where somebody went back no. in time and made it so the Titanic never sank. And it changed no. history. <laughs> Hold on. Celine Dion, Celine Dion never got famous in America as a result. Are you telling me that Supernatural takes place in an alternate timeline where the Titanic never sank? One episode of Supernatural takes place in an alternate universe where the Titanic never sank. And then the literal fates from Greek mythology start killing off the descendants of the people who should have been killed when the Titanic sinks. <laughs> Is angry the feeling I'm feeling right now? What you're feeling are the secret supernatural emotions. They're like the secret shrimp colors. You can only feel these emotions when thinking about Supernatural. <laughs> The night of November 5th when Destiel went canon and then Castiel went to super hell, I could have lifted a car if I needed to. <laughs> I don't think I like this. <laughs> this is making my brain do things I don't like. <laughs> Welcome to thinking about Supernatural. <laughs> this is why you're like this. <laughs> it explains a lot about me as a person, doesn't it? <sighs> we had a good thing going and you ruined it. It's me. I ruin things. So we cut back to the helicopter. <laughs> 50,000 moving parts looking for somewhere to crash. <laughs> we, we cut back to the helicopter. And like there's another wave coming or it's the same wave or something. And the helicopter's like, pull up. We have to pull up. And then they turn to Snipes, the pilot, who's like, pull up. I repeat, pull up. And then like. He pulls up like he forgot he's the one that does that. 
Also, they were talking to the refueling plane that they met because they're meeting a Canadian refueling plane off of like, I guess, Gander because they're running low on gas in the helicopter. But the refueling gets cut short because like there's a big wave. So the plane crashes. Yeah, the plane gets wiped out by the wave. And like, no, that's one of like the three planes we have. By Canadians. At one point, the West Edmonton Mall had three fully functioning submarines for the kiddies to ride in. And the Canadian Navy had two fully functioning submarines (laughs) for the kiddies to ride in. (laughs) Oh, God, the West Edmonton Mall. For every one hour a Seahawk spends in the air, it has to spend 24 hours in maintenance. We have some <laughs> shitty helicopters. So we get back to the Titanic 2. People are dead. The woman who is cursed to see the Titanic crash every single time gently weeps. <laughs> In the elevator, Hayden, Amy, and Kelly are all alive. For some reason, Amy gives Kelly her shirt. Don't worry, she's got an undershirt on. We just had to see more skin. We're at that point in the movie. And it's like a black camisole too, so, you know. That's the action shirt. From here on out, it's kind of the Poseidon adventure, except not really because they couldn't afford to flood these corridors. The boat has not Poseidon adventured yet, but it will. So you know in James Cameron's Titanic where there's water rushing through the lower levels and it's kind of a slow, inevitable death trap, but you really get the sense how cold and deadly it is. There's the omnipresent sound of water rushing in. It's very much a constant threat. Yeah, so imagine that. But instead, it's just like a kid running around the yard with a hose and their finger over the end. (laughs) They could not afford as much water as they needed to make this movie convincing. Amy finally gets a phone call from Captain Dad, who, again, is still getting great signal in an elevator in a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Captain Dad is like, help is on the way, and so am I. (laughs) Which is honest, at least. Hayden. Is there any scuba diving gear on board? On board this boat? Yes, sir. This boat in the middle of the ocean? Is there any diving gear on this boat (laughs) in the middle of the ocean? Yes, sir. (laughs) On a boat that goes in the water? Yes, sir, there is. Hayden, I used to think you were a good man. Now prove you are again. There's a lot psychosexually going on here (laughs) with regards to the father (laughs) handing off responsibility for his daughter to the nearest, like, male authority figure available. (laughs) Yeah, he's not interested in, like, telling his daughter to get to safety. He's telling the man to get his daughter to safety. There's a lot there. There's so much. We don't have time to unpack all of that. (laughs) Instead, we have to get Amy and Hayden and, I guess, Kelly to the diving facility. At which point, Hayden goes full dopey guy who now styles himself an action hero. And he grabs a fireman's axe, which is just hanging out. It's just here. It's just hanging out in the elevator. Uses it to axe open the ceiling of the elevator. Pulls himself out. Pulls the other two women up. And then escorts them up a ladder. As they are trying to climb in their pencil skirts, by the way. Yeah, I don't know why the medics don't get pants. Could they at least have torn the skirt a little? Because pencil skirts are not exactly made for going up ladders. It's not really a mobility skirt. Yeah, I mean, I have gone up a ladder in a pencil skirt, but that's mostly from, like, hopping both feet at once. You can't really bring one knee up. Kelly is also vaguely injured in some way. Kelly's injury is, like, range, like, they wander around her body. Like, you know that old thing, wandering womb? It's that, but with, like, life-threatening injuries. They're just, they're just roaming her body. 
And meanwhile, Hayden is just like, hurry, climb, you gotta climb, hurry, keep going, keep climbing, go, 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 keep climbing, keep going, hurry, hurry. In a lot of ADR lines, all of these lines are ADR, which means there must have been a test screening where they were like, you know what, <laughs> Hayden needs to be talking more. <laughs> and then somebody else in the room, probably a woman, was like, I don't think he does, but nobody listened to her. <laughs> Hayden also slips the axe into his shirt. I don't think we ever see this axe again. Oh, we do. <laughs> oh, we do? Okay, great. We do because he's what he's using to pry open the door when Kelly gets murked. <laughs> right. Okay. So the ship is still going down. We come across perhaps the only door that looks like it might be on a boat in this entire movie. It's a heavy iron door. It's like a portcullis portal. I, I'm not using words correctly here. <laughs> It's a very... It's a boat door. <laughs> yeah, it's a boat door. It's the kind of boat door where you use that one iron door slinging clothes sound effect. It's jammed. And they can't get it open. So Hayden starts trying to pry it open with the head of the axe, which you could already look at it and realize it's not going to pry the door open enough for people to get through, even really skinny bitches from LA. Well, it gets Hayden and one skinny bitch through at least. And then the second one is trying to push the first one through. She gets halfway through. And then the door slams shut and bye, Kelly. <laughs> bye, Kelly. You survived 30 minutes longer than we thought you would. Yeah, you may have noticed that we have like one extra blonde woman in an identical suit here. Yeah, we should do away with her. <laughs> She's now been bisected by a door. And I really love Amy's like, Kelly, no! <laughs> that is exactly how she delivers that. Every line in this movie is delivered like an amateur voice actor who doesn't realize that you can actually scream in the booth. <laughs> Every time I work with someone who hasn't voice acted before, I have to be like, okay, we're going to do some yelling real quick so you realize how loud you can actually be, and then we're going to do the lines. <laughs> that sounds really fun. Because otherwise they're too restrained. Anyway, that's a wrap on Kelly. She had like five lines and all of them were horny. Bye, Kelly. You were too horny to live. Too horny for this movie, Kelly. Hayden, by the way, at this point, I have started just like writing down all of Hayden's lines verbatim because they're also <laughs> just like, we got to keep moving. If we don't keep moving, she died for nothing. Let's get out of here. Keep moving. We got to move. I'm confused. I wasn't paying that close attention to this scene. Hayden was on one side of the door with the girls prying it open and the girls go through and then Kelly gets bisected by the door. I don't understand how Hayden gets through the door after that. Oh, okay, good. So that wasn't just me not paying attention. That's actually confusing. I was also not paying attention. It's possible this movie does actually show that. But after Kelly gets bisected by a door, I had to take a moment. Because he was holding the door open, right? Maybe her body's holding the door open and that's how he got through? Mackenzie, you've watched this movie like five times. I've only seen it like three. No, it's just confusing. Okay. Okay, great. He teleports. It's fine. Don't worry about it. This is a dumb movie. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta keep moving. There's a lot of rushing around oh and God. dramatic stuff, but we're about to get to my favorite action scene in this whole film. This is the best sequence of the entire movie. Like, the whole movie is built around this sequence. As noted, there's like... Some puddles. The amount of water in this film is not much. It's just somebody like with a hose, their finger over the end, it's kind of spraying everywhere. Amy and Hayden round the corner in this hotel hallway. This huge hallway with some pipes. This is definitely just the back hallways of a hotel. And in the middle of this hallway is a tiny little puddle. The water would not even come up to like the top of your toe if you were like walking barefoot through it. A puddle. And it's maybe like a foot and a half wide and a foot and a half long. And there is a puddle. It's literally a puddle. And there's a tiny wire 
frayed at one end that looks like it's a friggin... An Ethernet cable. It's basically an Ethernet cable that's chopped off at the end, and it's got really bad fake sparks coming off the end. They even use some, like, zap, zap sound effects. And it's over the puddle, and Hayden goes, shit, we're gonna have to climb. Like, they look at this puddle, and both of them immediately jump to, this will kill us. (laughs) Never mind, there's, like, two feet on either side of this puddle where they could just walk around it. It'd be fine. Yeah. And I imagine their shoes are both have rubber soles. They should be fine. Especially Amy, because she works on this boat. And when you fucking work on a boat, you have to have rubber-soled, non-slip shoes. It's very important. In fact, she's a nurse. She ought to be wearing Crocs. All things taken into account, she should not be wearing the pencil skirt and heels. She should be wearing Crocs and scrub pants. Maybe some dance goes if she's feeling fancy. Yep. Hayden looks up and there's this tiny little pipe above this puddle. And he goes, we need to climb. And Amy goes, I don't know that I can. He goes, we have to or we'll die. And all this is over a puddle. It's a puddle, guys. There's a tension sting going on. Like, there's lots of close-ups. We get a lot of ADR of him grunting because this is taking, this is so much of an effort. And this dude just like, this man shimmies across like a kid on monkey bars. This takes 10 to 15 minutes. This is a monkey bar thing. That's just what's happening here. He's just shimmying across. And then Dr. Rick Douglas MD <laughs> realizes that the girl's in trouble and goes back and pulls her across as well. <laughs> pulls her across the monkey bars. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So she's like, we also do these cuts back to the wires where somebody is clearly just sort of shaking <laughs> the wire off the frame. This scene right here, this is the Dark Place episode. It's amazing. She shimmies across the monkey bars. Aiden's like, Come on, you can do it. Come on, come on. You got it. You're almost there. Keep coming. Keep coming. You can do it. Go, go. She slips a little. And she's like, Hayden, I'm slipping. He shimmies back across and like pulls her arm up. And then they shimmy back together. This guy's upper body strength is something else. <laughs> this is so long. It takes so long. It's literally like a 15 minute scene. <laughs> it's my favorite. I feel like the first time we watched this, Mackenzie, I feel like we paused and like watched it again. We paused and died. We did. We paused. We died. We're like, surely it wasn't what we just watched. We rewound. We watched it again. And then we just paused and died for like a solid 30 minutes. This is why this movie is so great. It is this scene right here. Again, think about the Titanic. (laughs) Think about James Cameron's Titanic. All that rushing water, the drama to trying to get above decks, the people dying, the love, the passion. The puddle with a wire being waggled on it. Also, as far as this movie is concerned, it has no more characters. <laughs> no. It has these two. It has Captain Dad. And that's it. This movie has no more characters. Nope. <laughs> they are all gone. Yeah. <laughs> There's maybe one more exterior shot of the boat before like the last scene. It's just hallways from here on out. Yep. So they finally get to the diving facility. We have this weird scene where outside of the diving facility, which is helpfully marked a diving facility, we hear somebody trapped. I think it's the engineer guy from earlier. Probably is. He seems like the same guy. He might be the same guy. I was not paying a tremendous amount of attention. <laughs> He's trapped. There's like some fire flickering off camera. At some point, he turns to the wall and spits and it's blood. And she's like, we have to help him. And Hayden's like, let me help him. Come on, come on, hurry, hurry. And then the dude just sort of dies. He can't get the door open. And Hayden makes it about him. Yeah. 
And then Hayden's like, oh, no, I feel tortured. I killed him. This is my fault. And she's like, no, it's not. And he's like, you're right. Let's go. <laughs> like, I don't know what the scene was doing here. It's weird that the scene was done a million times better in 2004's The Core. <laughs> Beat for beat, it was the exact same scene, but somehow it was more affecting in the fucking core. <laughs> A movie that I love watching with physics majors because they get very angry. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, a character says the words fluid dynamics 101 and my friend Sonia, who has a degree in astrophysics, became incandescently and incoherently upset. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Fluid dynamics is not a 100 level course, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess this scene is supposed to be Hayden feeling guilt over wanting to make the boat very quickly and something something. They rushed it for the anniversary date. Do they mean the anniversary of the boat actually launching? Because does this movie take place in 2012? I don't know. Did Hayden's company fund the boat? I don't know. He seems to be in a position of power here, but it's not very clear exactly what hand he had in the boat being made or charting the vessel or voyage. I don't know what he was doing here. He's the Tony Stark. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay, he's the Tony Stark. He's the Tony Stark. And then they get into the diving room and there's one wetsuit. There's only one wetsuit in this entire boat. This boat that goes on the ocean. That goes in the water. There's a throwaway line to like, hey, looks like other people had the same idea we did. What other people, Hayden? Where are they? Where are these people, Hayden? <laughs> Where are they, Hayden? Are they also alive? Have we seen anyone take the... Take, what, what, what happened, Hayden? Hayden? How did they get here? Did they also shimmy over the monkey bars over the live wire? Hayden, where are these other people? Is it possible you only bought one wetsuit for your boat? <laughs> <laughs> because this room looks pretty untouched, honestly. It doesn't look like it's been rifled through. There's just one wetsuit here. On wire hangers. <laughs> just in a wardrobe. <laughs> That's not how you store those. <laughs> Hayden. <laughs> and then we have to watch Amy get into the wetsuit in real time for some reason. And he's like rushing her along. Like, just put it on, Amy. Come on, zip it. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Zip it. Come on. Do it. Lift up your arms. I'm going to zip it. So bad. This movie is desperately sprinting towards the finish line while still trying to be 90 minutes. Meanwhile, the people in the lifeboats are dead now, I think. The tsunami <laughs> hits the lifeboats and just destroys them, and the movie doesn't really dedicate any time to, like, these people are dead now. <laughs> it's just like, we've done away with all these extraneous humans. <laughs> it's Shane Van Dyke and his love interest and her father, who's also symbolically her love interest. That's it. <laughs> who's Freud? I don't care. <laughs> hit by the wave too and now we've just 100% shifted into Poseidon adventure because the boat's upside down now the boat's upside down and the room's filling with water because that's where all their water budget went I guess it seems like they are now shoved in the little wardrobe that the diving suit was in later we find out that there's a thing keeping the door shut because it fell against the door why are so many things unsecured on this boat <laughs> they didn't plan for this boat to move at all apparently <laughs> We cut back to the helicopter real quick. They're like, we're 30 miles from the crash site. Hayden just sort of keeps instructing her on how to use literally any diving equipment at all. She's a medic on a boat. Her father is a Coast Guard captain. I feel like she's maybe been in the water before. 
She's probably certified. It's fine. It's fine. Hayden's gonna die heroically now. Oh my god. Hayden's like, if I go underwater and I lose my breath, then they can revive me because <laughs> I'll be cold. They can revive me if they get here soon enough. The tank only has 30 minutes of air for some reason. Usually it's about an hour. Your average tank usually has about an hour of air. Hayden cheaped out on that too. It's fine. <laughs> There's only one air tank. He's been hoisted quite thoroughly at this point. <laughs> She's like, okay, maybe we'll share some air. And he's like, listen to me, damn it. Be logical. Because she's a woman. And she's hysterical. Yep. We cut back to Captain Dad, who now also has a diving suit. And he's going to go get them. There's something about, like, holding on to a rope so he knows how to get back out of the boat. This, by the way, is a comically cheap looking rope. (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of rope they would give us at, like, camp. (laughs) To make lean-tos with. Also, it's clearly not enough rope. They say there's like 100 feet of rope there. It's not 100 feet of rope. That's like 15 (laughs) feet of rope. We cut back to the little wardrobe with the diving suits in it where Hayden is like, the water is up to his chin. And he's like, Amy, I'm sorry I left. And she's like, you're here now. And then they smooch. Because I guess his character arc is complete now. I guess he had an arc and this was the end of it, I think. (laughs) With his dying breath. He bosses around Amy to put her mask on and use it and instructs her how. With his dying breath, like, he just bosses around a person. It's great. With his dying breath, he mansplains a respirator and then visibly (laughs) drowns in front of her eyes. Like, holds his face. It's like she's just sort of waiting for him to actually (laughs) die because, like, we have this whole prolonged scene where we actually watch him in real time supposedly drown. And she just, like, keeps holding his face and kind of shaking it preemptively. I realize it's hard to film people drowning. Because a big thing of drowning is you finally open your mouth and let the air out and the water in. And you can't have an actor do that because they'll die. And, you know, your whole body starts to react without you sort of forcing it to. Your whole body is like, I need to live now. That's why there's scratches on the ceiling of like an underwater cave thing where somebody is just like drowning and their whole body is saying, go up. So logically speaking, he should be clawing the shit out of her right now. <laughs> yep. So yeah, he drowns in, in quite possibly the most paralytic, peaceful way possible. It's like watching someone in a sci-fi movie take off their helmet and just sort of die in space. Just sort of crystallize. Like, you know, that scene from uh, that episode of Magic School Bus where Arnold takes off his helmet and his head turns into a big icicle. That episode was fucking traumatizing. Apparently. Jesus. So yeah, Hayden's dead. Also, there's definitely still air bubbles coming out of his nose. There's definitely still air bubbles coming out of this actor. It's great. We cut back to the helicopter, which is apparently now suddenly out of fuel. The scientist lady jumps into a life raft, and immediately after she does so, the helicopter just sort of veers right and then explodes in the water. Uh, Like I said, 50,000 moving parts looking for somewhere to crash. (laughs) This is the natural (laughs) end conclusion for all helicopters. Don't get in a helicopter. (laughs) Never get in a helicopter. Helicopters have killed more rich people than any communist revolution, which means that they are comrades. (laughs) They are the main method of leftist praxis available to us. So I guess what we're saying is don't get in a helicopter, asterisk, unless you're rich. Unless you're rich, in which case get in a helicopter. Exclusively use helicopters. Do you need to go to the store? Get a helicopter. Okay, so the boat finally sinks. Dad finds her, moves the thing that was unsecured against the little wall. They just sort of swim out together, pulling Hayden's corpse with them. 
This dude's dead. He's, he's so dead. He's so very visibly dead. This dude's <laughs> mega dead. It's the middle of the Atlantic. This dude is dead. You're not bringing him back. But they drag his ass out of there anyway. <laughs> they drag his corpse out. They drag him into the life raft. And I have written down her lines verbatim here over the next, like, three minutes while she is trying to revive him. Come on, breathe. Breathe. Come on, Hayden. Hayden, breathe. Come on. Come on. Damn it, breathe. Come on, Hayden. Come on. Come on. Hayden, one, two, three. Breathe, breathe. Hayden, breathe, breathe. Come on. Come back, Hayden. Come back. Come back. Come on. And then she starts crying. Mackenzie, confirm this for me. When you're doing CPR on someone, you're not really going to revive them doing that, correct? Correct. It's more keeping things going so, like, they themselves can kind of revive themselves. All it's doing is, like, their body's dying and you're making sure their heart stays on rhythm and keeps pumping the blood yeah so you're just manually operating their circulatory and respiratory systems until like a more effective way of resuscitating them can arrive it's like a stopgap measure which means you're not supposed to stop after three minutes basically yes some people have had to keep going for like 10 hours while slow mountain rescues happened it's all about just keeping like their cells alive because you need blood for that to happen and so you're manually making the blood go she's also like going way too fast on these pumps like it should be to the tempo of another one bites the dust (laughs) yeah exactly it should be bump 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 another one bites the dust though as my emt guy said that's what he always did it too but to be nicer to the people listening it might be better to use a different song that is actually what they will teach you in 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 like first aid it is the tempo to another one bites the dust that's how fast you should be going but that's the one i learned it too so that's what i can hear but you know come on hayden breathe breathe come on hayden hayden breathe come on come on hayden hayden i am incensed that at no point did she say don't you die on me This is clearly, this character is doing a heroic sacrifice, but this is just wanking at this point. This is just, she loves him so much, but he's dead and so heroic, you guys. Dr. Rick Daglas, MD, RIP in peace. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, we sit here for three minutes watching her try to revive him. And then she smooches his corpse. And the movie ends! And the movie's over now. That's just the end of the movie. And we fade to black. Fuck all them other people who died, though. (laughs) Okay, can we also talk about the fact that it's like an Atlantic-wide mega-turbo ultra-tsunami. First off, the only boat on the Atlantic Ocean right now apparently is the Titanic 2. And number two, we're not going to talk about the shore or anything. Atlantic-wide. New York is gone. New York City is gone. Everything on the coast is gone. So many people are dead. But no, the only thing that's actually affected was a boat that it shouldn't have affected. And the only death that matters is the death of the writer-director star of the movie, Shane Van Dyke, grandson of Dick Van Dyke, a man whose name sounds like the name of a drag king. James Cameron's Titanic, you spend so much time with, like, all of these interstitial characters, all of these, like, minor passenger characters who probably don't have any lines. You watch them die. You feel for them. You understand the tragedy of loss. In this one, it's just, like, the one lady who says, not again, and then somebody is like, oh, I guess all the lifeboats are gone now. Is that how waves work? Captain Legion, though. Good old Captain Legion, though. Good old Captain Legion. Quite possibly the only person in this movie who could act. Ah, that unit had a soul after all. There was a bit right before Captain Dad calls where he's just kind of staring into the distance. You could tell he's actually like, 
doing some decent work there. They definitely hold on him and he's absolutely trying to be like, I am a man who has the weight of responsibility on me. I am facing my death. I am trying to come to terms with this. My hubris, my hubris, what have I done? You can see the emotions. You can see the things going on in his head. Nearer my god to thee. <laughs> and then the rest of this movie happens and he gets blown up by an exploding engine. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what this movie is. <laughs> Any brief moment of quiet emotional power or pathos is immediately bulldozed over by a gasoline explosion. <laughs> or someone shouting, move, move, go, go. <laughs> oh. I want a movie about reincarnating Titanic Lady. <laughs> please? Please. <laughs> Not again. Do uh, you think it's just the same Titanic sinking over and over again so that like it turns out the majority of the people in the Titanic are just this lady by volume? <laughs> you think that people are reincarnated over and over again and just drawn subconsciously to Titanic revamps. Yeah. That actually would be a pretty good like ghost ship concept. I just remembered the actual movie Ghost Ship. <laughs> Which, as I recall, had Carl Urban and then his face gets torn off by a boat rotor. I love the movie Ghost Ship. Oh, it's Remember the first five minutes of the movie Ghost Ship where it's like a big fancy party and then everybody dies? Yeah. Yeah. And oh. there's a piano wire that gets everybody decapitated. I think I need to go watch the movie Ghost Ship. Yeah, I think I also need to go watch the movie Ghost Ship. <laughs> I think the movie Ghost Ship is actually great. Ghost Ship's so good. Good old the movie Ghost Ship. Uh, I think we've reached the end, everybody. I think it's time for our final facts, because surely at this point we have proven that writer-director leads are just, they're so good. This is what happens most of the time when you find a writer-director lead like this. There's a vampire's kiss. At some point, we need to actually track that down, because I need to see that movie again. Oh, good. Okay, great. I have it on DVD. There's a movie called Kiss of the Vampire that is also like this, except it's a writer-director lead actor lady. So it's like a vampire romance. I desperately need to see that. All the vampires, when they feed, they make lion noises. Yeah, I desperately need to see that. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And there's like a middle part that's like five hours long and very boring. Yeah, where a vampire has to undergo surgery to be a daywalker or something. And the rest of the vampire coven is mad about this. So they try to like attack the hospital. And there's also a preponderance about a lady who like, she paints the sun. And he's like... I've never seen it. I love it. <laughs> anyway, that's the same kind of thing where, like, writer-director lead movies are so earnest. They're so earnest and self-serving. It's a very clear kind of film where everything is absolutely made with no artifice to revolve specifically around this one artistic vision to make them look good and be in the movie that they want to be in. I understand that impulse. I don't understand the impulse to do that and also make a movie called Titanic 2. Does he just really wish he was in Titanic 1? Did he, did he look at Leonardo DiCaprio and be like, I could have done that better? Yes. Probably, yes. Honestly, like, that's the thing. Like, this isn't just a boat disaster movie. This is a boat disaster movie that is attempting to, like, upstage James Cameron's Titanic. Uh, to no degrees of success. I would say 0% success rate there. Like, it tries to take some of the same emotional beats, but, like, make them more dramatic or make them better. Like, the main male lead even dies at the end to sacrifice himself for the ladies. It's the same kind of shit. 
he understands that all of these things were in Titanic. He just doesn't understand why. <laughs> he doesn't understand what purpose they served. Just that they happened, so they have to happen in his movie, too. Except he gets floozies. I hope the floozies are doing well. They were on the helicopter, so I think they got out. Oh, right. So my DVD copy has both a gag reel and a making of Titanic 2. That's always nice. And honestly, watching both of them just made me kind of enjoy it more, because clearly everybody was having a good time. It was very cute. There was this one point where all the floozies kind of fall over, and on the gag reel, one of the floozies kind of flung herself too hard, and she ended up smashing into a camera guy, and they both just giggled afterward. And it was really cute. There was a music sting in this movie. I completely forgot. At some point in this movie, I don't remember where, there was a music sting that directly invoked the flute from My Heart Will Go On. And my, <laughs> I said out loud, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating that he decided to go at James Cameron, not just make like a mockbuster or some other boat disaster movie, because you can make other boat disaster movies. You can make the movie Ghost Ship. But instead, he was like, I'm going to square off against James fucking Cameron. I could do this better. <laughs> Fuck that guy. God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> With Dick Van Dyke's money. Yeah. <laughs> My dude, it's, you could just go to him and say, hey, hey, next time Disney comes knocking on your door, <laughs> do you think you could get me an audition for something good? <laughs> I think it's time to do what all rich white guys do and go to grandpa and get him to give you a job. <laughs> Except instead of a dealership, it's a Disney movie. Going your own way is clearly not working out for you, my dude. <laughs> or you could just really lean into it and be Joe Estevez, who sounds a bit like Martin Sheen, but he's Joe Estevez and he's in every B movie ever. I feel like Mass Effect could have hired Joe Estevez instead of Martin Sheen. And, like, saved a lot of money. Dude, he sounds so much like Martin Sheen, you would not have been able to tell the difference. Like, I understand the impulse to say we have Martin Sheen in our video game, but also I'm not sure he did that much better a job than the next best Martin Sheen impersonator. Who is Joe Estevez, his brother. <laughs> if you had, a, like, a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest about Martin Sheen, Joe Estevez would probably win. <laughs> I think at this point it is time for our final facts. Kit, what's your final fact? Seeing as watching this movie made me infinitely more affectionate towards a movie that I was meh about before, I think my final fact is Titanic was good, actually. <laughs> I'm as surprised as you are. Right? Like, by comparison. <laughs> Lindsay Ellis actually has a whole video about how it's good, actually. I still need to watch that one. Mac, what's your final fact? 1,500 people went into the sea when Titanic sank from under us. There were 20 boats floating nearby, and only one came back. One. Six were saved from the water, myself included. Oh my god. Six out of 1,500. Afterward, the 700 people in the boats had nothing to do but wait. Wait to die. Wait to live. Wait for an absolution that would never come. I love this fucking movie, you guys. If you ever want a guaranteed way to make me laugh, and this is my final fact, get me that guy playing My Heart Will Go On on Recorder. <laughs> I mean, it sounds a lot like how the fact that the like you can always get me to laugh by playing that one guy doing the Jurassic Park theme badly on like a mouth harp. Wah, 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 wah.
What's your final fact? <laughs> My fact is that if you're going to go against James Cameron, you better not miss. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot at James Cameron. You better not fucking miss. Because here's the thing, you're probably going to miss because you're not James Cameron. You can't just take your little submarine down to the wreckage of the Titanic to have a little bit of a quiet time whenever you want it. You can't just make five Pocahontases with blue aliens whenever you want. Just don't aim for James Cameron. Just don't. You know, I take it back. Don't aim for James Cameron. He's doing whatever the hell he wants and you could probably do better. The only person who can take a shot at James Cameron is Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> And she did that one year at the Golden Globes where she beat him <laughs> for best director. It was delicious, in fact. It was so good. Oh, it was delicious. Best director, Hurt Locker, f*** yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's the only person who can take a shot at James Cameron. Everybody else, yeah. just go make the movie ghost ship. Just go make the movie ghost ship. <laughs> Make a boat disaster movie with all the energy of the movie Ghost Ship. Are we just going to exclusively call it the movie Ghost Ship? I mean, yeah. I am now. Okay, good. That is going to do it for us this time with Titanic 2. Now, we've been on a weird movie tangent for a little bit, so we're going to jump back. We're going to do something else. We're going to talk about something near and dear to all of our hearts. <laughs> something that shaped us all. <laughs> something that we perhaps shaped ourselves. It's fanfic time, y'all. <laughs> and more specifically join us next time for our fact where we will prove no one wrote my immortal <laughs> we all did <laughs> it was probably inevitable we were going to talk about ebony darkness dementia raven way <laughs> we've already kind of backed into it multiple times we might as well face it head on <laughs> <laughs> after several overtures we're here Join us next time when we talk about the amazing fanfic, My Immortal, about which we probably all have way too many thoughts and opinions, but that's the point of the podcast. <laughs> that's the podcast, guys. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to all of our overwrought facts and opinions. I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. It is edited by Lucas Brown of the Math of You podcast. You can find us wherever you download your podcasts. We used to talk about where specifically. Don't worry about it. Just Google it. It's fine. We're here, probably. If you would like to follow us, you can do that at our Twitter account, which is at CRC Podcasts. We also have a Tumblr that is mostly a repost of stuff from our very good website, crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. There's also a .com, but that one sucks. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, we have it, but it doesn't matter. We are a .gay horse. <laughs> if you would like to support us, you can do that. On Patreon.com slash The Gem Jam, for at least a dollar a month, you can get access to early episodes of I Will Fight You. If Lucas finishes them early, he has for the past couple of times, because Lucas is spectacular. You can also find stuff about our other shows, like Gem Jammer and Date Me Dammit, both of which are extremely good. I might be a little biased, but shut up. <laughs> Annie likes our content. I like our content. I like my friends. We like you too, Annie. Aww. We do. If you would like to support us without giving us money, you can also do that just by giving us a like, rating, review, subscribe, or comment wherever you find our podcast. At me on Twitter. I'm on the Twitter account. I like hearing nice things. You should give Annie all of the compliments through the Twitter. <laughs> Please. I will pass them along to everyone else who doesn't go on the Twitter account. Yeah. It is all through me. We needed to balance out all the other experiences of being on the Twitter. <laughs> right. Just spread a little goodwill by being nice to us, specifically. <laughs> specifically being nice to Annie. <laughs> Join us next time. 
when we will talk about my immortal. It's been on our list for a long time. I'm really excited. <laughs> and until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. This is basically trying to make you think of all the things that James Cameron put in, put in, God, I was about to say Avatar. (laughs) (laughs) Different bad movie. Uh, Titanic 2, but in papyrus. Alternatively, this is one of those, you know, when people decide that actually like bands should be like sports and there should be competitions. So they get a bunch of different school bands from the same general district or whatever and then they make them play off against each other at, like, an event. We're not talking about, like, a marching band competition. We're talking about, like, regular band. We're talking, like, just regular band where you sit in chairs. And this looks like that stage. This looks a bit like that stage. I've performed on this stage. Mm. I've played trombone on this stage <laughs> and gotten bored, so instead started trying to torment the clarinet players with my slide. <laughs> just slowly moving it into their peripheral vision see how long it takes them to notice. and then they jump and make a noise and it's great you know when you get bored so the entire bass line just kind of tacitly agrees that they're going to keep speeding up to see what happens (laughs) no see i played a woodwind i was melody you low brass people yeah bass line gets bored easily (laughs) for the record i never sped things up i was a drum major so i had it drilled in my head to always stay on beat Baseline, it's very chaotic back there. So, like, percussion will keep their shit together, but baseline's like, nah, man, <laughs> we're gonna do some dumb shit. Tuba and trombone, baby. Which is fascinating because percussion are definitely the people that you trust the least. Like, you can trust low bass to be chaotic as hell, but you can't trust the percussion. They're gonna go off. Anyway, we're off topic. What were we talking about? <laughs> Titanic 2. Anyway, we've gotten off topic here. That's that's fine. That's what the people want. <laughs> people want us to go on tangents. By which I mean Lucas wants us to go on tangents. Lucas doesn't <laughs> want us to go on tangents. Lucas puts all that in the bonus reel. <laughs> exactly. I like our content. I like my friends. We like you too, Annie. Aw. We do. I've like been called clowns sometimes by Kit. It was a compliment. <laughs> Clouds and or bozos, Mackenzie. <laughs> or pals. I called you guys pals once. <laughs> just once. Just once we've been pals. <laughs> Gals being pals. <laughs> we're gay, folks. Thanks for editing us, Lucas. How, how long were we recording for? Wow, that is like two and a that is two and a half hours of Titanic 2, you guys. <laughs> two and a half hours of Titanic 2, longer than the actual runtime of Titanic, but uh, there was also like several bathroom breaks in the middle there and many, many sidetracks. Sorry, Lucas. <laughs> Good news, we have material for our bonus reel. <laughs>